Well, that was certainly uh, an indescribable performance from the choir. Uh, when I uh, sat down and looked around, I noticed, well, the, the auditorium doesn't seem as full as it was before, uh, but now I know why. I hope the choir will come and join us. <laughs> but um, we're going to be following up on what I was uh, started with uh, three weeks ago. If some of you may recall, it was on from James chapter 1, and it was on the hardest uh, command, that we're to count it all joy, uh, even when we have trials, troubles of many kinds, big ones, little ones, continuing ones, uh, intermittent ones, uh, we're to count it as joy. And then we saw how James gave us certain sort of uh, clues as to how we could handle that command and, and actually uh, learn more about God from it and learn the importance of affirming uh, the goodness of God even, even when there are the trials and the difficulties. But now we're going to follow on in James uh, and move on to uh, chapter 1 and, uh, and, and verse 19. And uh, there we're going to see what we might call uh, some of the most commonly disobeyed commands. And the commands that are disobeyed even by good Christians like us, like me. Uh, we, we say we want to, you know, trust and obey the Lord, but we need to take seriously what the Scripture says about what obedience uh, means. And that's what James is doing here. And a lot of what James uh, says throughout his uh, short letter is reflecting what the teaching of Jesus uh, himself was uh, as we have it in, in the Gospels. And a lot of what he says is just by way of example uh, of things that we're supposed to think about, and we'll see that's the case uh, with uh, this morning's portion. And so uh, let's look first at the opening uh, verses of this uh, section, James chapter 1, verses uh, 19 uh, through the first part of verse uh, 21. And uh, you can have your Bibles and you can look up on the screens there. And as you see, it, it says, uh, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. James is later going to be actually using the phrase true religion. And I think he anticipates it uh, here. Uh, he's going to be leading up to saying what true religion really is, and you'll see at that point that uh, he repeats some of these same things there. And the reason he calls it true religion, and by the way, the word religion doesn't occur in uh, the Bible uh, hardly very much at all, but uh, we know religion is, is everywhere all around us, uh, and certainly has been uh, throughout human history. But generally speaking, um, in most other religions of the world, and even sadly in, in some very significant parts of uh, professing Christendom, uh, what people think of as true religion is uh, the right rituals, the right ceremonies. Uh, many of them, it's following certain food laws. We're aware of that when we see, you know, 
places being advertised and foods being advertised is conforming to certain religious standards. And uh, then if you're going to have prayers or you're going to to uh, to do some service or, or other, uh, it, it's to be done in just the right way. Just the right words, but also just the right officials wearing maybe just the right clothing uh, and things of that nature. That's what, and, and sadly, that's what so many people in Jesus' own time uh, within the Jewish religion had come to understand, and uh, we know Jesus was constantly in conflict with the Pharisees over this, and then modern Judaism, or even Judaism going back to, to the second, third centuries and so forth, uh, developed from the Pharisaic strain, which was just one part of biblical uh, Judaism, even in New Testament times, and, and it developed in, in a very, what we would call, legalistic way, uh, and they consider that true religion. But uh, Jesus himself, and now James uh, is uh, reiterating this, is saying, no, that's not what true religion is. Well, what is true religion then? Well, we have here uh, these commands. And uh, let's, let's consider uh, trying to see what we mean by being um, quick to listen. Now, I thought about that for a while. I mean, how do you speed up your, your, your listening? And so I, I, as I was reflecting on this, it seemed to me this is a way of saying we're to listen thoroughly. That uh, we're not just to let what other people are saying slide by or even what we might be reading uh, without trying to, to carefully, thoroughly understand. And a lot of times uh, we don't do that. And this is a command, though, that God is giving through James now that we are to be the kind of people that uh, are, what he says, quick to listen. And I think that invites us to think, well, what does it mean to be quick uh, with listening? We can talk about moving quickly or something like that. But does quick to listen mean that we want the person to speak faster? Well, no, it's not saying that. Um, I think it means to, to, to listen thoroughly. Uh, but then he goes on to say that we're to be slow to speak. And so I would say the next point that we want to have, besides listening thoroughly, is by speaking carefully. And slow to speak doesn't mean that we speak like that. Now, we don't appreciate it when people speak too fast, but I think it means that we are to, to speak carefully. That we are to, to think about what we're going to, to say. How we're going to respond. And you'll find throughout the letter of James that he often talks about the tongue. And, of course, when he mentions the tongue, he's not just talking about this muscle in our mouth, but about the, the words that, that come out, what we say, and the way in which we say it. And then James also says, we are slow to become angry, adding that our anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, James doesn't say never become angry. And we do have the Bible telling us about the anger of God. And uh, we, we, we need to handle carefully this subject. Uh, James himself, as you read through this, this letter, 
and our Lord himself, as you study his life, there were times when the appropriate word to describe what James is talking about and how our Lord acted is the word anger. But human anger, anger that is simply, we might say, from the flesh, so often does not produce, as James here says, the righteousness that God desires. But that doesn't mean that there aren't all sorts of things going on in the world and all sorts of things going on even around us, closer to home, where the right kind of anger, the spirit-controlled, spirit-led anger, is appropriate and might be used of God to help produce the righteousness uh, that he uh, desires. But the two prerequisites to that, of course, are listening thoroughly, doing our research, if it's uh, that kind of thing that we are seeking to, to learn more about, and, and then to, to speaking carefully, speaking thoughtfully, and then to, you know, indicate what it is, uh, why it is that we're angry, what it is, what can be done about it. In other words, to, to, ha- yes, have anger, uh, because there are all sorts of things going on in the world that we should be angry about. I think most of us are angry about what's going on in Syria now. And we hear all this talk, of course, well, more than this talk, all the evidence of the, the use of chemical weapons. Uh, the brother, um, Jopheth, that accompanied me to the meeting uh, today, one of the ones at the doctoral colloquium that I'm involved with, uh, lives in Kenya, but has uh, reports on the persecution of Christians that's taking place in parts of Kenya and other parts of Africa, and especially in the neighboring country of Somalia. And he's taken videos that show us some of these persecutions actually going on that are too gruesome to even report. And uh, one of the ways that he is carrying on his ministry is by uh, informing others about this sort of thing. And there is the right kind of response of anger to what is going on. But we need we need the wisdom of God in how we go about, how we respond. This is James said uh, uh, at the beginning of chapter 1 about when there are troubles of many kinds, when well, there are troubles that other people are suffering, we should pray for wisdom as to how uh, we respond. And so the way I've summarized that, though, uh, the third point sort of of being slow to anger is that we're to pick our battles cautiously. We don't want to just be angry at everything that's going on. Uh, we want to, to decide what it is that uh, where we can express uh, in all sorts of ways uh, our concern about it, uh, but James is saying we should be uh, slow to become angry. That is, that we should, you know, definitely have considered uh, all the factors uh, that are involved. And then the other thing that he says uh, in these opening verses is that we are to uh, aim for righteousness. We are to uh, be concerned with the righteousness that God um, desires not only in situations that might call for anger, but in in everything uh, that we do is to aim for righteousness while avoiding that which James here describes as filth and evil. And we might wonder, why does he use the two words, filth and evil? Why couldn't just one, even the word evil, uh, cover everything? And as I was thinking about that, well, you know, filth, uh, is, is in some way a necessary byproduct of life, uh, that we, we have our garbage, uh, but we don't want to necessarily call that evil. 
And I think when James says, you know, uh, avoiding both filth and evil, he is saying both the, the kinds of things that, uh, that you, you know, may not be uh, of the same category as evil, but nevertheless are things that are inappropriate for those who are uh, the children of God. And then, of course, the word evil is a very all-encompassing word. We tend to use it now in English just for horrendous things. Uh, but as we'll see, uh, James and some of the other scripture writers uh, use it to cover a, a wide range of things, some of which we would consider, well, you know, I wouldn't want to call that evil. It's maybe something wrong, something inappropriate. Uh, but the scripture is saying that it's evil. And if you, you notice some of our hymns, uh, they at times, and I'm sure this offends a lot of uh, modern people, that uh, it does describe all of us uh, as wicked. Uh, we sang a hymn in the earlier meeting about uh, as vile. We don't use that word vile so much anymore, but as vile as, as we are. And uh, people in general will admit that certain things are wrong uh, or even evil. Uh, certainly murder is, is one of them. And nowadays we're more aware of the child abuse and, and all that's being uh, done to try to, to uh, m- minimize the amount that goes on. And we have a lot of publicity about uh, about it. And it shows that there are still moral standards, even though these standards vary from person to person and place to place. And But people are saying, well, yes, those things are evil, but, you know, so much of, of the rest of things are just sort of human nature. But God's Word is saying that, well... There are degrees of sin in one sense, but that uh, all of these sins are, are such that Christ had to die for them because God is perfectly holy. He's not just one who has avoided evil, but he has avoided uh, any conception that we might have of things that are wrong or abusive or inappropriate, that God is perfectly holy and that all of us in one way or the other uh, have fallen short and need the forgiveness of God and need to acknowledge our sinfulness and not just say, well, you know, I don't do everything right, but I'm better than so-and-so. I'm better than such-and-such. Uh, and so James is saying we, that the evil is prevalent, uh, that, uh, that we need to aim for righteousness, but we need to recognize that we all fall short. We all miss the target. In fact, the word sin basically means missing uh, the goal, missing the target. And uh, we, we understand it's not just, we need to understand, it's not just missing the target of not being a murderer or not being a child molester or something like that, but it means uh, missing the targets as God's Word defines them. And so, let's look at going on in James chapter uh, 1 and verse, uh, the second part of verse 21 and, and on through verse 25. As we look at these passages, we're getting some guidance on how we can do what James is here telling us to do, to listen uh, uh, quickly, being slow to speak, and so forth. And so in James 21, he says, Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you, which can, the word save can be used in various ways, and we need to realize that James's vocabulary is not identical to what Paul uses and so forth. And so I think he means in this context it can deliver us, it can make us able to uh, obey uh, the Word of God. And James is saying we need to receive the Word humbly. We need to recognize our need 
for it. That when we become Christians, it's not, not that we automatically uh, know what to do or how to do it. Uh, we need to acknowledge our need, and that's what the humble person does, is acknowledge that uh, he doesn't have all the answers, and we do need uh, to learn uh, the Word in this case, and to uh, learn it from each other, uh, as uh, James indicates and Paul spells out in more detail. And so we need to, to do that. And then James goes on to say that we need to really obey it, or really do what the Word calls us uh, to do. Now, we, in the earlier meeting, sang uh, uh, the song, uh, Trust, or earlier have sung, Trust and Obey. Trusting the Lord for who He is, for His goodness, for His love, but then really obeying. That we, we, we can know what to do, but, or we can even tell others what to do, but James is saying, look, uh, he knows that we might feel we get a certain amount of credit uh, just from... Uh, uh, knowing uh, the word and knowing what's right and wrong. And James says, don't merely listen to the word. Uh, that's deceiving ourselves into thinking that God is pleased just because we can hear it, maybe even because we can memorize it. I don't want to knock uh, the scripture memory, but uh, it, it's even more important to having memorized it than to practice it and then to be able to explain it to others or put it into uh, to, to different words and different ways uh, of saying what it is that the Word is calling us to do. So James is saying, humbly receive the Word, really obey it. And then he calls upon us now in this interesting phrase. He gives, uh, we can just briefly mention what he says about uh, an example. James does that a lot. He says, those who listen to the Word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their faces in a mirror and after looking at themselves, go away and immediately forget what they look like. Well, for some of us, that's not a bad idea. Um, but have you ever noticed, now, some of you still, like me, still wear a watch. And have you ever looked at the watch and seen what time it is? I see I still have some time to speak. And then somebody else asks you, what time is it? And you look at your watch again. You've forgotten what you just did. And I think James is, is using it and says, yeah, it, it's possible back in his day, they didn't have wristwatches, but, uh, but at times, you know, we can, we can do something and then turn away and, and then somebody asks us and it's as if we have forgotten. And then James says that can happen all too often, uh, that, that we can look at the word and we can check off, well, I've done my daily devotions for today. And, and then we forget what it is that we're supposed to really do. And uh, so James is, is trying to get people to think about that. Uh, and then he goes on in verse 25 to say that those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And I summarize this as saying we're supposed to reflect on the law that enables freedom. Now, as you reflect on that, when we think of law, we tend to think of restriction. Laws, or a similar word, regulations, are telling us, well, this is what you have to do. Right now, uh, my son and his wife and I are, are having to put on an addition uh, to, our, to our house because where I'm actually living was converted from being a garage into a cottage. 
um, 10 or 15 years ago and wasn't even legally converted even then. And to bring it up to code now would be even uh, stricter and more expensive. So it's more uh, cost effective to put an addition to our house. But let me tell you, some of you may have done this yourselves. And there are a lot of regulations involved. Uh, my city of Walnut Creek has them, but I'm sure wherever you live has them as well. Uh, and the regulations keep getting stricter. Uh, some of them are enforced more than others. Some of them seem, you know, illogical. Uh, but they're there. Uh, one of them, of course, concerns seismic factors now, ever since uh, big earthquakes uh, uh, several years ago. Uh, and we live in a floodplain, so we have to be concerned about that. Uh, all these regulations, all these laws. And the problem is that that's the way a lot of people look at the Word of God. Uh, when they hear what the Bible says about what uh, is God's will for humanity that He has created. And uh, what we call God's will, or can say, well, these are laws, this is restricting. This is curbing my freedom. Uh, this is making us, if, if I believed it, and of course these people are saying, well, you know, this is just what the ancient Hebrews believed, and this is just what uh, Paul and the others believed and, and all, but... Uh, but we now, we've come of age, uh, we don't have to follow those that we have to more see what human nature itself is like and realize that a lot of these restrictions um, just uh, don't apply. Well, that's correct when it comes to a lot of the laws and regulations in the Old Testament. God had his reasons for having those for the children of Israel. But as Jesus himself made plain when he made all foods clean, it's just one example uh, of uh, modifying uh, the, the law, in this case, the food laws. And other of the laws that we find in the Old Testament, you can see from carefully studying uh, Jesus that on the one hand he was obeying these, but then he was wanting to get to the main spirit and purpose of it. And then, as Paul makes clear, now God has a, a new people into which Jew and Gentile come in on equal terms, and we're under a, a new dispensation or a new uh, covenant and uh, so we don't have a, a lot of these restrictions that were valid and had their reasons for being uh, in Old Testament times. But there are a lot of other things that are still considered as restrictions by those who are non-Christians, a lot of them uh, involving sexual matters, uh, but there can be others as well. And uh, But James is here saying that when you properly understand the laws that still do apply, that these are really laws that give us freedom because they free us to live as God originally intended before the fall came in, before human nature started being corrupted. And, and so that the proper understanding of the commandments that are given even in the New Testament for today's people of God are ones that properly understood set us free. And instead of... Uh, being that which really restricts us, they are that which enables us to serve God and to be fully and truly human. Now, it's an old-fashioned kind of illustration, but we still talk about uh, trains, uh, and we're talking about building at great expense uh, a, a big train line here uh, in central California uh, to ultimately, supposedly, connect our area with uh, southern California. And... Uh, but imagine what it'd be like if, if a train said, well, uh, I want to be free to go wherever. The idea of being restricted to being on the tracks 
that that's inhibiting my freedom. No, the the train is really free to to do what trains are supposed to do when it acknowledges uh, the restrictions in the case of trains of the tracks that they're supposed uh, to be on. And we need to take what is sort of obvious in the mechanical realm and uh, understand it in the human realm as well. I think that's what is gained by reflecting on what we mean by uh, the law that enables uh, for, for freedom. Uh, instead of uh, for uh, restrictions that are that are in some way harmful uh, to us. Now let's move on to verse 26. And uh, as we see verse 26, James is saying, "Those who consider themselves uh, religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion." Is worthless. So here again, now we have a repetition of what he had said earlier about being uh, quick to, uh, to to listen and slow to speak. He's now, and you'll see later in James, he's, he's bringing up the idea of control of our tongues, of what we say, and here he's explicitly defining now that which is you know, true religion, and. What he's saying basically is true religion, and I'm interpolating here, is not ritual. That's what so many people back then and ever since and before that were thinking is religious, a true religion, that which is truly pleasing to the gods or even to uh, the God of Israel. Um, he's saying that it's uh, not that sort of understanding rituals or food laws or things like that, uh, but controlling one's speech. Uh, keeping a tight rein on our tongues. Um, and even though we may follow the, the, the food laws and we may follow the, the rituals, uh, if we're not keeping a tight rein on our tongues, that is, having our tongues under control and so much of ordinary sin, not crimes usually, but sins are uh, involving our tongues, and it also can be involving our fingers when it comes to what we uh, type into, click into our, our smartphones and all. Some of you may have heard about this uh, a young uh, teenager who recently committed suicide in Lakeland, Florida because of all the uh, abusive messages that were being uh, sent to her over uh, the, the Internet and through social media and stuff like that. So that's just an extension of of what used to be having to be done more in a face-to-face type of, of thing. But James is saying keep a tight rein on that, and uh, we need to be very much aware about how much of this kind of, of uh, sin, certainly, and crime in some cases, is going on. But then James also says in verse 27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In other words, we're to be helping those in need. And in this case, he uses widows and orphans uh, as an example. It's interesting, if you look at Matthew 25, uh, sometime that it's talking about the great white throne judgment and uh, uh, the way in which people at that time are judged is how they have responded to those who are in need including the widows and orphans, and it mentions certain other kinds of needs, those who are hungry, those who are homeless, things of that nature. Uh, and certainly those who are uh, ill, those who are in, 
in need of, of medical care and assistance. Uh, so widows and orphans here represents helping those in need. Now, helping them in need also helps them to become, uh, where possible, to become self-sufficient and things like that. But this is the kind of thing that, uh, that Christians are supposed to manifest and so often throughout human history have done and are doing even now. And here we have uh, a clear biblical basis for doing it. That, uh, that it's not these external things uh, of a ceremonial nature, but how do we relate to our fellow humans, particularly uh, in this case those who are uh, in need. And then James is also now repeating what he had said earlier uh, about, you know, trying to, to avoid being contaminated by the world. Here he says that we are to uh, avoid being uh, polluted is the way the NIV uh, refers to it. Uh, avoiding being stained or polluted uh, by the world. In other words, to avoid worldly stains, um, we try to avoid stains on our clothing. Uh, it happens from time to time. We try to avoid stains on the furniture and so forth. And James is saying, we as Christians, we have sort of a twofold obligation. On the one hand, to do what is right, but on the other hand, to avoid letting what is so common in the world uh, affect us negatively and stain us and come to begin. And, and just to say, well, you know, this is the way our culture does such thing. This is the way we're, we're to handle it because, you know, we do have to be salt scattered throughout the world where can't withdraw and become isolated from it, which is true. Uh, but uh, this is a challenge that we face. And uh, then I, I prefer to go on to James chapter 2 and verse 1. Uh, as continuing this idea of what he means by true religion. Um, and let's, let's read chapter 2 and verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And I would uh, summarize this. Uh, the word favoritism is, is acceptable, of course. But that we should not practice uh, unjust discrimination. Other translations uh, and other ways of rendering the Greek word are partiality. Um, a modern term that uh, has started to be used is that we shouldn't be profilers. We shouldn't be looking just upon external factors and uh, profiling somebody uh, on that basis. This is what James is saying here because his example uh, that he gives, uh, starting in verse 2 through verse 7, is uh, one particular example uh, of a rich man versus poor man. Uh, but again, like in so much of rest of James and even of Jesus' own parables and the like, he's given an example of what should be a general principle. And I think this is something that we need to acknowledge, that all of us, starting with myself, uh, have this tendency to uh, discriminate against people unjustly. Now, that implies, although James doesn't say it in this particular verse, that there is such a thing as justified discrimination or, to put it another way, uh, justified distinctions. Uh, James himself, uh, as we'll see in the next few sentences, is going to be giving a partial justification. But, uh, but then later he says that not many of us should be teachers, that teachers have a higher standard. So he's discriminating between those whom he calls teachers and those who are being taught. 
And then still later, he's going to say, uh, if you have certain illness, call the elders of the church. And again, he's, he's distinguishing between those who are elders and those who are not. And, and so there are legitimate distinctions that we do make. Uh, but the problem then and the problem all over among humanity is that we tend to make distinctions that we usually use the word discrimination, favoritism, uh, on a number of factors. And this particular factor, this particular incident, let's read in, um, well, and then he also says, uh, that, uh, uh, well, we will see the point that I want to make is that God himself does not practice favoritism. But let's look at this example of uh, that James gives, starting in verse 2 of chapter 2. Suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor person in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, well, here's a good seat for you. But say to the one who is poor. Now, let me say, first of all, let's commend the people. At least they receive the person who comes in in poor clothing. They're they're not saying, oh, well, you know, you're not welcomed here. But instead, you still make improper discrimination because you say, oh, well, you stand there. Or here, you can sit on the floor over there by my feet. And James says, verse 4, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? In other words, he's using this strong word, evil, to talk about something which, let's face it, is, is, uh, is common. Um, that, that people who are, who are well-dressed, uh, whose bearing in other respects is, is, you know, puts them as somebody that, that we, even if we don't know them, you know, we, we think, well, this is somebody that we should be especially nice to, uh, that most of us, including myself, are nicer to them. And the person who, who looks like, well, we don't want to turn them away, but, uh, you know, it, it uh, can upset too many people if, if this person is, is, showing, is shown too much uh, respect and and the like, that other people won't want to come if they see this kind of person and, and so forth. Uh, that's the situation that continually applies. And uh, James is saying, that, you know, that's wrong. That's one of the things that distinguishes us from those who are not Christians. As, as you look around the world today and you follow the conflicts that are going on uh, in the world, uh, it seems like all of them, but certainly would be safe to say most of them, have definitely uh, at their core uh, this sort of discrimination, not treating other people uh, with equal respect until maybe they conduct some behavior which is uh, uh, enables or uh, requires us to say, well, no, you, you have a manifested behavior which does uh, require that you be treated differently but that uh, just on the basis of the external factor alone, just on the basis of their religious background, just on the basis of their uh, tribal association, just on the basis of their race, we distinguish them, we discriminate against them. Now, I grew up uh, in the Deep South, about as far south as you can go, Miami, Florida, at a time, as many of you know, I'm old enough at a time when everything was uh, legally and actually 
uh, racially segregated. And uh, the back then they were called colored people. Uh, they had to have their own schools. They had their own neighborhoods. They had their own locations where they could uh, have to sit on the buses. At least they were allowed on the same buses, but not in the same place. They had their own water fountains, their own restrooms uh, in public places and so forth. Everything was legal discrimination. And sadly, the, uh, the Bible-believing churches were every bit as much a part of that scene. And were doing nothing, uh, significantly, at least nothing that I was aware of, uh, to try to agitate for change in, in those areas. And a lot of the agitation, of course, had to come, as we've recently been reminded, through the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's uh, uh, speech there in, in Washington, uh, through the, uh, the African Americans themselves, uh, and from some, mostly from the North, uh, white supporters, which is what had happened in Civil War times uh, as well. And, and so we in, in the church and good Christian people are too often letting themselves, their values, be uh, determined by what the culture does. And uh, I've been told uh, by those, for example, who minister in uh, the Middle East that the, uh, the Arab Christian believers, that comparatively few of them are trying to be evangelize their Muslim neighbors, that a lot of the evangelism that goes on has to come from outsiders who come in. Now, there can be all sorts of factors involved in that. But the point is that we constantly need to examine ourselves and to say, am I letting the world's values on these matters affect me in how I relate to other people? Even if it... uh, makes me stand out because I am seeking to befriend somebody at school, somebody at work, somebody in the neighborhood that most other people are trying uh, to shy uh, away from. And so uh, James says in chapter 2, in verse 2, that uh, we have this person coming in. We're not supposed to show uh, special attention to them. But then he goes on to say how this is irrational Because actually, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 5, had God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, in other words, most of the believers were from a poor background. Now, most people were poor too. But uh, God has has chosen those, and earlier in the first chapter, he's commended those who were poor too as ones who are better able to receive from God and ultimately to inherit the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name, referring to Jesus now, of him to whom you belong? Now, there James is showing, you know, that these are certain things that are wrong. And if you know that a person is doing these things, of course, you can... Uh, indicate where this is wrong for him to be blaspheming Jesus or to be exploiting other people and so forth. But uh, he's saying that just because this happens doesn't mean that uh, in specific cases that you need to generalize to all uh, of the people who look like that. In this case, you you don't discriminate against the, the person who comes in dressed richly. Uh, you treat that person and you treat the poor person equally. And I would say the same sort of thing is to apply uh, to, to us. 
this doesn't mean that if somebody is exploiting and somebody is blaspheming that we don't uh, express uh, our disapproval and as representing God, his disapproval of this sort of thing. But there are other examples. James just gives the rich man, poor man example. But there are other examples that are up on the board there. I've already mentioned race in the case of my own upbringing. Tribe is one of the things behind so many of the conflicts that we hear about in in Africa and the equivalents of tribes in places like Syria. Uh, Religious background. And again, in the case of Syria, we hear about these different religions and subdivisions of Islam and so forth. A physical appearance can be it. A a person who uh, appears uh, in a way that we we don't like. Their hair is too long or too short or whatever. Um, The kind of clothing they're wearing. If somebody comes in and is wearing uh, the kind of headscarves that we identify with Muslim uh, women and and the like, uh, uh, what is our attitude? The kind of headscarf that we identify with uh, uh, Sikh men. Uh, what is our, our attitude uh, toward that? Um, disability. Some of us are, are uncomfortable around people who, who have a certain disability. And by the way, when people are complaining about America and how certain standards in America have changed, we also need to realize that certain things have improved. And one of them is our attitude toward those who are disabled. That even in our lifetimes, various laws have been passed and enforced, which means that we do have to accept people with disabilities and make it as much possible, as much as we can, make it possible uh, for them to have access to public facilities and so forth. And this is not the case still in many parts of the world, that they still are having to be uh, kept out of sight and people are ashamed uh, to to acknowledge uh, the, the disability. And uh, so we, we need to say that, yes, this, I think, Christians and Christian attitudes have had a certain uh, role in this, but this is something that is better than it was even 50 years ago, and certainly better than it was 100, 200 years ago. Um, One of the issues that we won't go into now, but it's certainly one that we're going to have to be dealing with, uh, is uh, the whole sexual orientation issue and the marital status uh, issue. And uh, how do we react with uh, the changing values in society uh, on issues uh, like that. And uh, we need wisdom from God as to how to communicate uh, what it is, what is God's attitude, what is God's law, but also the points that we'll conclude with now on the last few verses here, in the, starting in James chapter 2 and verse 8, where James says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, here's this law, or here's this reference to law again, and this is what was summarizing Love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing right. And you might recall that when someone asked, well, who is my neighbor? That's when Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. And you may or may not know that the Samaritans and the Jews were people who genuinely disliked each other and disrespected each other and often went out of their way to avoid each other. But Jesus is here using the Samaritan as the example of someone who was showing that that he was a neighbor to somebody. So the person who was despised by his Jewish audience uh, that was hearing this story is the one who's the good example. And so saying, yes, we're to love our neighbor, and James is hoping, and I'm hoping that, you know, we recall the, the, the incident in Jesus' life where he expanded upon this, 
And then he goes on to say, but if you show favoritism or the wrong kind of discrimination, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. In other words, this isn't just something just because it's culturally widespread that we can put it in a different category because he goes on to say, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And so we can also say, well, James is asking us to reflect and say, well, James, what you're saying is that discrimination or favoritism, partiality, whatever word you want to use, is sin, even as adultery and murder are sins. So that, yes, we acknowledge and even the world acknowledges that murder is sin and a lot of people acknowledge that adultery is sin. Uh, uh, but uh, God's word is saying that this widespread practice of the wrong kind of discrimination or partiality or favoritism is also sin. And uh, we're to have the attitude towards sin that it's not like a ladder where there's several rungs and, okay, we can take out a rung here or there and the ladder is still working uh, and we can still climb up and say, well, okay, yes, I sin on this point or I sin on that point, but I can still use the ladder. We need to think of uh, God's law, the true understanding of God's law, more like a balloon. That if you puncture it in one point, you can't say, well, I just did a small uh, prick into that uh, balloon. Uh, that wrecks the whole thing. And that's the point that John, that uh, James seems to be making here. That if we, uh, whatever our sin is, that that is what God is concerned about and that is what keeps us from being those who are perfect in the sight of God. Now, we can also use that, of course, as an evangelistic way of saying to a person who is a reasonably good person that, uh, yes, but even if you're sinning in this point or that point, falling short of what God is saying, then you still need the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we'll see in the last couple of verses here, verses 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, here's that phrase again, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, but mercy triumphs over judgment. God wants to be merciful to us, but we need to acknowledge our need for that mercy. We need to acknowledge it in the first place to become children of God, to be born again, and acknowledge that Jesus Christ paid for our sins, not just the sins of the murderer or the thief or the adulterer, uh, but the sins of all of us. And then once we are Christians, we need to acknowledge that we, we do continue to sin because God's standards are very high and, and He's the one who's made us and He has good reasons for having these high standards, but He wants us to understand that when we properly follow His will for us, His commandments for us, that it really sets us free to be uh, what he has expected humanity to be, what he originally created us to be, and what we will be for all eternity. And this will put us in conflict with the world. There will be so many ways in which we as Christians, sometimes not as conspicuous as others, but where we are different from the world. Not different because uh, we eat all sorts of different foods or we have different ceremonies or we wear different kinds of clothes but different because of the kind of behavior that James is here talking about uh, here. 
All of us need wisdom as to how to apply this and to recognize that uh, the Word of God is something that has been implanted in us if we've become His children, but now He wants us not only to memorize it, to hear it, to uh, listen to it, to read it, but to really obey it. And to do this, we need the desire, but also recognizing that we have the Holy Spirit enabling us to do that, to change our attitudes and then to express this change in a way that, that does bring us into conformity with uh, the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what James wrote, even though it can make us a little bit uneasy, uh, including me, as we uh, wonder, well, uh, what about the uh, prejudice? What about the discrimination that, that I still show? And yet we realize that you want us to strive for being more and more like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and to realize that in doing this, uh, even as the Lord Jesus attracted many but repelled others, that so it will be uh, with us. But uh, we know that we want to do your will, but we need to constantly be not only instructed as to your will, but exhorted to put into practice that which we know, to encourage one another and to challenge one another. And Father, if there are any here who have not received Christ personally, to recognize what James is telling us about the mercy of God, that God has these high standards, but, dear Lord, you're also a merciful God. And you have forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for each one of us who has received this mercy. And we ask you as we go forth now this week that you would use us to show forth what the Lord Jesus is like and not only the high commands that he's given uh, and the high example that he's shown but also as the one who is the supreme example of uh, one who is merciful. And so may we go forth as those who are seeking to do your will, but also those who manifest uh, a merciful attitude toward those who recognize their need for forgiveness, that while all of us will one day be judged, that those who have received your mercy uh, will come through judgment in a way that uh, enables us all the more uh, to not only be your children, but to show forth your glory and to exalt your praises starting now and forevermore. We pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.